Good morning, family. So good to see you. A warm welcome to our visitors. You are a blessing and an encouragement for us, and we hope that we likewise are a blessing and an encouragement for you. If this is your first time visiting with us, we invite you to please fill out one of the visitor's cards and give it to me after the service that we might have a record of your visit. This morning I'd like to talk to you about a, a very basic idea, a fundamental idea, if you will, in the Bible. And yet, as basic and fundamental as it is, it is often misunderstood in the religious world. And that idea is faith. Faith. Now, if you're anything like me and you get a set of directions, the first thing you look for is the pictures. You know, like if you have that dreaded do-it-yourself furniture and it talks about slot A and, and, and groove B, and first thing I look at is the pictures, the picture on the box, and the pictures in the directions. If it doesn't have pictures, I'm in trouble. You know, if you're, if you're looking at a map uh, and you, see, you read all the directions, I don't look at the directions, I look at the map. Once I understand the map and can see the map, then I put the directions in, okay? There's pictures in the Bible. Those pictures are analogies. It's when saying two unlike things are like each other. This is like this. And you ask yourself, well, how is this like this? And that's where you draw your understanding from. If I asked you, if I asked everyone here, What is an act that you do every day? It's something you do, it's very simple, it's very basic, you don't think about it. You do it every day, and yet it is an act of faith. In fact, I dare say it's a picture of faith. What would you come up with? What would you think of? What is this act that you do every day? And that act is the act of sitting down. Sitting down is a picture of faith. And you ask yourself, well, well how? How is that so? Well, it's a picture of faith in three ways. So let's look at the first of these three ways. When you sit down, are you shorter or are you taller than when you're standing up? Well, the answer is obvious. You are shorter. So in essence, what you're doing is you are lowering yourself. You're shorter. You are lowering yourself when you sit down. Please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And in Luke chapter 14, I'm going to read in verse 1, where it says, One Sabbath, in Luke 14, when Jesus went to eat in the house, of a prominent Pharisee that is a religious leader. He was being carefully watched. Go down to verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. That is a short story with about an everyday event or a, a, an event that occurs in, in nature, and it has a moral, a spiritual truth. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Now, what's the place of honor? The place of honor is to be at the right hand of the host. 
at the head of the table, okay? Do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host you, who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place, which is all the way down at the end on the left. So can you imagine how embarrassing that is? Have you ever been embarrassed and you say, oh my gosh, I feel so stupid. You will be humiliated. But when you were invited, take the lowest place. There's a key phrase there. Take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. So here's, here's this example here of a wedding feast. And here's the spiritual truth behind it all, underneath of it all. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who, he who humbles himself will be exalted. The idea here is that to lower yourself is to humble yourself. It's a figurative way of looking at it, that you are lowering, you are humbling yourself. So that's the first way that sitting down is like faith. You are, in essence, humbling yourself. The second way that sitting down is like faith is that you are resting all your weight on something, as all of you are. You are resting all of your weight on something. I want to tell you a personal story here. I'll make a confession. One day long ago, before we had children, before Mark and Mary, Gail and I were visiting a, uh, a widow gal from church and her children, and we were having a good old time. We were um, actually in the living room. She had set up a, a table in the living room, and we were playing a board game, and we were just talking and laughing and, and having a good old time playing this board game. Now you're all looking at me, undoubtedly, and you're thinking to yourself something along the lines of, what in the world are you doing up there, Carl? You're in mid-sentence, you're talking away, and then you're acting like you got a crick in your back or your neck, and you're bending, you're bending back and up. Well, you see, the reaction that you're having is pretty much like the reaction of the folks in that living room. Because what happened was, we were just laughing and talking and having a good old time, and I started to go backwards. Really just like, what in the world's going on here? And I went backwards. It was slowly. It probably didn't take longer than 10 seconds, but it seemed much longer at the time, I can assure you of that. And by the time I was done going backwards, I had two feet on the table, the back of my head was on the floor, and all four legs of the chair never moved and never left the ground. And then the whole room lost it. We just all laughed and laughed. I couldn't get up for a minute or two because I, I was laughing too hard, so I was stuck there for a minute or so. It was one of those events where, where an hour later, someone would interrupt the con conversation and just say out of the blue. And then you just started going backwards, and they all started laughing again. You had to be there to see this. Well, what, what, why did that happen? Well, the dear uh, widow gal, she, she had some nice furniture, but the chair I was sitting on was not so nice. 
it was a metal folding chair, an old one, and you know, the metal folding chair has a, a, a the back is like a U. And there was a crack on each side of that U just above the seat. And as you might have, you know, can guess, that it, uh, it held up for a little while, but it, it, it get, breathed its last under the heavy load that was upon it, and it died underneath of me. So backwards I went. Well, that reminds me of a verse here. So if you would, please turn with me to the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at verse, uh, chapter 7 of Matthew. You see, that chair could not hold up. And we're going to see in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24, about something else that could not hold up. In Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts in verse 24 saying, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Here's another analogy. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, the foundation that was being rested upon was not sure there, and it gave away. So you see, the second way that sitting down is like faith is that we are resting all our weight, that is, all of yourself, upon something. And the important thing here is, what are you resting upon? What are you on? What are you putting all your weight on? What are you putting all yourself on? Is it the sand? Is it a rickety old metal chair? Think of that. The third way, the third way that sitting down is like faith, is that you don't see what you're sitting on. After all, our eyes are in the front of our head. You know, there's, you know the old story that moms and, and elementary school teachers have eyes in the back of their heads. You know, mom can see everything. And elementary school teachers, when they're up there writing on the chalkboard, they can see the whole class and the, and the children never figure it out. Okay? But aside from that, our eyes are in the front of our heads. And they're designed, they function to see forward. You don't look backwards when you're sitting down. You don't look between your legs when you're sitting down. You sit down. Oh, hi, how are you doing? You take your seat. Well, with, that reminds me of a verse. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Acts, Romans, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, We'll start in verse 6 here where Paul writes, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body 
and at home with the Lord. So we are confident, but we live by faith. We don't live by sight. No one here has seen God with their eyeballs. No one here has seen Jesus with their eyeballs. No one here has seen a miracle as described in the Bible with their eyeballs. But we live by faith. That is, we base our lives on faith, not having seen, just like sitting down. So here we see this picture of faith, that sitting down is like faith in that we are lowering ourselves, we are humbling ourselves. We're resting all of our weight, that is all of us, all of ourselves upon something. And though we are doing that, we don't see what we are resting upon. So let's look at what faith is and what faith is not. So turn with me to the definition of faith. If you would, to Hebrews, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, and James. If you're in James, flip back to Hebrews. In chapter 11, and what was read so well just a few minutes ago, let's read again. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. If I ask the majority of Christians... What's the definition of faith? This is what they're going to turn to. Hebrews 11.1. 1, because it says, faith is. If it says, faith is, that's a pretty good start for a definition. So what we see here is that faith is being sure. It's being certain. What are you sure and what are you certain of? You're certain of what you do not see and you hope for it. Okay? You do not see it. And you hope for it. And let me tell you an, uh, a short, very brief story about people who had faith. They were sure, they were certain, they did not see, and yet they hoped. And I'm going to give you a by the way. By the way, have you ever looked up something on the internet and you said to yourself, this will just take a few minutes, in five minutes I'll be done. And then... Hours later, you look up and say, I still haven't found what I was looking for, okay? Well, actually, that's this brief story I'm about to tell you. So I'm not going to read to you a handout about this story, but I'm going to describe it to you, the gist of it, as best I can from my memory. And the story is this. In possibly the early 80s, but most likely the late 70s, there was a news show that showed a couple, a couple in a house. Now, what was extraordinary about this was that this couple was in a house, and there was no furniture in this house. This house was empty, except for two items. There was a PC, that is a computer, and we're talking late 70s, early 80s, so we're talking a very ancient computer, I don't know, like Commodore 64, uh, Atari 400 kind of computer. The reason why they had the computer is that they wanted to count the second item in the house. Second item in the house, was thousands and thousands of lottery tickets because they basically sold a good bit of their possessions. I believe they'd second mortgaged their house. And they were sitting in this empty house except for mounds of lottery tickets. It was just piles and piles of lottery tickets all around them. Because the fellow, the husband, had this brilliant idea. 
He'd figured out a math formula, whereas he was going to win the lotto. And by that, back then, it was like a million dollars, which was the biggest prize. And that was a humongous amount of money, believe it or not, children, in the 70s. Okay, I know today we got mega prizes. It's 300 million and all that. But back then, that was humongous, and it was unheard of. So this fellow had this brilliant idea. He was going to win the lottery. He'd had a mathematic, a formula. He had everything spread out so that he was going to hit it. And he had the computers to keep track of those tens of thousands of numbers. Um, you can guess the outcome, can't you? He didn't win. They didn't win. They did all that and did not win. And you can say, well, they, they were certain. They were confident. They hoped they didn't see the winning numbers, or else they had a bet on the winning numbers. They didn't see. They, there's an old saying in the world, you put your money where your mouth is, and it's a variation of actions speak louder than words, which is actually, it's not a scripture, but it's a scriptural thought. After all, the verse that we just looked at with the wise man who built his house on the rock, he put the Lord's words into practice. So the, even though it's not a scripture, quote unquote, it is a scriptural thought. This couple did all that. The problem was this. What was their faith based upon? What was it based upon? It was based upon his intelligence. It was based on his efforts. It was based upon wishful thinking. I want to win lotto. Okay? Christians, we are often accused that our faith is nothing more than wishful thinkings. Oh, you just wanted to be that way. You just wanted to be that way, so you dream it up. It's just wishful thinking. It's just fairy tales. No, it's far more than that. Turn with me to the book of Romans, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, to Romans chapter 10. And here we're going to see a similar idea, the principle here, that this couple suffered from. So brothers, this is Paul writing, who was a Jew, and he's writing concerning his fellow Jews, the Israelites. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. The Jews who clung to the Old Testament and rejected the word of Christ, the law of Christ, the New Testament, their zeal, they were faith, they had faith, they had zeal, but it wasn't based on knowledge. You see, and that's like that couple. Their faith was based on their own efforts and their own intelligence, on their own desires and wishful thinking. And anything like that is like having faith based not on knowledge. So, the question is, what is your faith based upon? Well, we can find the answer in the same chapter by turning over to verse 13. And here we can see what the faith that the Bible talks about as faith is based upon. Where Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes down this process. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's a figurative 
way of saying blessed is the messenger, because I can tell you, literally my feet are not beautiful. They are far from beautiful. And maybe most folks can say that. But how beautiful are the feet of the messengers of the word of God? Verse 16, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? And here's the thought. Here's the fundamental, basic, foundational principle here. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. What is your faith based upon? If it's based on anything else, if it's based on your intelligence, on your efforts, on your desires, and your wishful thinking, even on the Old Testament alone, you're going to end up like the foolish man whose house is built on the sand. It's going to crash. You're going to end up with your feet in the air and your head on the ground because you rested yourself upon something that could not hold you up, that could not sustain you. What is our faith based upon? The word of Christ. Turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. Songs of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Then Isaiah, in chapter 44. Isaiah the prophet is writing to the, the Israelites, the Jews, who were very adulterous at this time. And God is responding to this idolatry, this worship of other gods, of false gods, in a very passionate and emotional response. And here in verse 6 of Isaiah 44, we read, This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people, that is the Jews, the Israelites, and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. After all, who can tell the, tr the future but God alone? Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. God's people are God's witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No. There is no other rock. I know not one. There is no other rock. In Matthew 7, where we read about the wise man and the foolish man, the wise man built his house on the rock. Did you ever notice that it doesn't say the wise man built his house on a rock? It says the wise man built his house on the rock. On the rock. Because Christians... There is no other rock but God. There is no other sure foundation that we can rest ourselves upon but God. There is nothing else that's going to hold us up through life and for all eternity than the word of Christ, than Jesus Christ, than God Almighty. Our faith is on the rock, is on God himself. That's what our faith is based upon. To anyone who is not a Christian, please turn with me to your, our last verse of the, this evening, this morning rather, is Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. To anyone who is not a Christian, 
Remember when we read from Hebrews, I mean Romans 10, 17, where it says faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ? Here is a message through that word. If you're willing to humble yourself, to lower yourself, if you're willing to rest all of your weight, all of yourself on something without seeing what you're resting upon, if you're willing to have faith, here in verse 36, Peter The apostle is speaking, and he's giving what's called the first gospel sermon. And the highlight of that sermon is in verse 36, where he says, Therefore let all Israel, and by principle, that's all of mankind, that's me and you and everyone. Let all Israel be assured of this. This is something you can be sure of. God has made this Jesus whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. You can be sure of this. You can be certain of this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Is there ever a more important question asked? Can you ask a more important question than that? What, the, what does the religious world say in response to this question? If you take your vehicle and you drive up and down Ritchie Highway, you'll find a whole lot of churches, no doubt with good folks, and they're well-intended. The answers they're going to give you are like, Say the sinner's prayer. They'll ask you, were you baptized as a baby? Did you accept Jesus as your personal savior? Did you see a bright light and have a warm, wonderful feeling, an experience better felt than told? Etc., etc., etc. What does the word of Christ say? It says in verse 38, Peter repented, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. The word of Christ says to repent, that is, to change your mind, to turn around, to do a mental 180, to, to, to say to yourself, I'm not living my life for myself anymore. Now I'm living for God, because you have changed your view. And be baptized, that is not to be be sprinkled, not to be poured upon, but to be dipped, to be immersed, to be baptized. Not as a good work only, not as an act of obedience only, but for the forgiveness of your sins, to wash away all your wrongs and failures that all of us have. That's the word of Christ. That is what we can rest ourselves upon, is that wonderful word that comes from God. So to anyone who is not a Christian, I ask you, what are you waiting for? Today can be the day of your salvation, the day that you become a Christian, the day that you are pleasing to God. We ask you to come forward now, if you're willing, while we stand and sing the invitation song, Trust and Obey.